Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. In a world where action movies are constantly exploding at the box office, our heroes take on the monumental task of dissecting and analyzing all aspects of action movies to truly understand what it takes to make a great action film. Ben Bateman, Andrew Guy, in a Popcorn Talk Network exclusive, this is Action Movie Anatomy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show! Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on this lovely Wednesday afternoon. Oh my god, it's exciting. Listen to the music. That's not what I'm hearing. It's like Terminator. Yeah, it's so good. Oh my goodness, it's sweet. I love this movie. There's nothing quite like Hans Zimmer in the afternoon. There's not, my friend. Mid-90s Hans Zimmer in the afternoon! This is Action Movie Anatomy, guys. Welcome to the show. This is Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. My name is Ben Bateman. I'm your host, joined today by my suave, lovely dressed co-host, complete with a tie clip today, Mr. Andrew Guy! What's up, everybody? Yes! Let's do this, man. Uh, hi, it's me. I'm here. This movie is so perfect for this show. Oh, it's so sweet. It's like almost the best one we've done, like, that fits our categories. It, like, it, it almost like this movie is like a forgotten classic in the sense that, like, if you really want, we're always talking about The Rock. We yeah. use The Rock as our, as our, like, benchmark movie. You always want to hit the movie that, like, feels the most like watching The Rock just in tone. In tone, this might be the closest movie we've done on the show to date. Yeah. It just has, like... I mean, not to mention that the score is pretty much identical. Uh, but it's, like, a year removed from it. It's Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. It just... It just feels awesome. Maybe all that you need to do to be on our show is to have Zimmer do your soundtrack and then have Bruckheimer produce it. Yeah, I mean, all those other movies that did around the same time, it's, it's like, for instance, Face Off and Connie are great. Yeah. They're awesome movies. By the way, we're doing Crimson Tide, if you guys didn't know already. <laughs> if you can't if read the, the bottom third there. <laughs> I hadn't introduced it. Um, but, like... There's just those movies are awesome. They're just not the same. Like yes. they're cornier in some ways. They don't quite hold together. Like this movie dramatically holds together really well. There's not many moments in this movie, if any, where you don't feel like this is just real. It's just a real, like good, honest. I mean, yeah. It, that's why I think this movie toes the line of being totally legitimate and yeah. ridiculously legitimate, which we will get to later. Yeah. Yeah, because I think, and I also think there's a certain quality that's added to police procedurals and military procedurals and courtroom procedurals to some degree if they're done with music like this, directors like this, and producers like that. Right. Because it's all very by the book, and it's all it all seems very accurate. Can you confirm? I confirm. Yeah. I confirm. I confirm. Yeah, it's yeah. so awesome. I love this movie. Um, anyway, guys, Action Movie Anatomy. We talk about movies on this show. Uh, usually those movies adhere to four basic rules, aside from being made after 1981, which is kind of a loose rule. We haven't broken it yet, but it's just kind of there. Uh, rule number one, the hero and the villain always play... No, the hero always plays by his own rules. Or her rules. Number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people or things or beings or creatures in the room. Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. When we say political, we mean they either could be the man or work for the man. So they could be an MT officer from the movie Taking of Pelham 123. Very good, sir. also is a Tony Scott and Denzel masterpiece. And lastly, rule number four, the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. You just call it Taking Pelham 123 a masterpiece, and I glazed over it. I, That's amazing. I was hoping that he was going to leave it back there in the dust. Uh, Mark, can you roll that as a clip? <laughs> just record that for us. That's uh, it's very important Mark, for Mark, please don't. 
<laughs> damn him, damn that man. Um, Alright, guys, this is the trailer for Crimson Tide, and I have to say, well, before we watch the trailer for Crimson Tide, actually, I should remind everybody, if you want to talk to Andrew about his sweet colored shirt, you can find him at... Oh, you can find me at Andrew Guy. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media, and of course, follow the podcast. We now have a an Action Movie Anatomy podcast Twitter, uh, at AMA Podcast on Twitter. So uh, follow us there, tweet, like, subscribe, iTunes, YouTube, all that. It helps us stay high in the standings. It's the only way for you guys to vote on what movie we're going to do next week. you got to get it. Yeah, you got to follow us. We like live conversations. We, you know... We are going to pitch next week's movies, and you get to vote on them specifically. So you guys have been great about that. Uh, follow us on Twitter to know what we do. Um, let's watch the trailer for Crimson Tide right now. So good. So good. In a world. Yeah. <laughs> As you no doubt heard, my exo has appendicitis. Your name was at the top of the list. Love the music. That's good to know, sir. It was a short list. There's trouble in Russia. So they called us. And we're going over there and bringing the most lethal killing machine ever devised. The last time we hit this state of emergency was 32 and a half years ago during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I don't even want to talk what it's all about, right now. I know, I know. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. Diving officers from the ship make a depth 150 feet. On the 1MC, dive, dive. This year... What we've always known. What we've always known. I love this guy's voice. Yeah, it's so classic. Becomes what we've always feared. Telling this to the captain, Russian rebels have threatened to launch against our country and are fueling right now. This is not a drill. Sweaty Vigo. No. Denzel. <laughs> yeah, everyone is always sweating in this movie. A lot of artificial sweat. A lot of spray bottles. Yeah, when Denzel's like running around and fighting shirtless, you can just see that it's clearly just like droplets yeah. all over him. There's no place for fear. There's no place for fear. There's no room for mistakes. If we launch and we're wrong, what's left of Russia is going to launch at us. I'm captain of this boat. I don't think that's over. There's no time for doubt. Missile systems ready to launch in six minutes. You repeat this order or I'll find somebody who will. Come on, you won't, sir. And nothing can stop the time. Nothing can stop the time. Oh, it's so intense. Hey, it's the only action scene in the whole movie. <laughs> oh, that scene was heartbreaking. I saw it. I forgot that. Yeah, oh. I forgot. Ow. So good. Oh God, that God. movie is sweet. It's so good. If you're wrong, if I'm wrong, then we're at war. God help us all. God help us all. Man, I cannot get over the chemistry of the two of them. Oh my God, it is magnetic. I also can't get over how good the trailer is. Like, okay, you go back to 03, and most of the trailers in 03 are less compelling than that trailer. The 99 The Matrix one yeah. is atrocious Terrible. compared to this. You go back to 95, 96, like, I immediately queued up the trailer for The Rock after this. Right. Immediately. Just to see, like, it, it, The Rock must have a sweet You also trailer. watched the trailer for Art of War, didn't you? Also sweet. <laughs> also sweet. I don't believe <laughs> I don't believe we've been. We still have We still it. have it. Can <laughs> sell, like, a fake beard like a turban or something. Uh, or sorry, Snipes. Snipes yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that trailer is just excellent. Like the way that it starts, one of my favorite lines in the whole trailer 
is like it introduces everything. It's real intense, and then you have like the you have like a choir music playing. Yeah, and I love when Denzel's like. The last time we hit the state of emergency was 32 years ago on the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. So this is what it's all about, gentlemen. This is what we trained for. And you're like, oh, my God. It's so exciting. I just love the – you're at the top of my list. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. It was a short list. Yeah. Just like immediately you can tell the tension. Yeah. Oh, so the chemistry with those two is really wonderful. I mean – It's incredible. I mean it's excellent. what makes the movie as good as it, as, it, as it is. Because most of the action – in fact – the ninety nine percent of the action takes place in conversations between. It's like a courtroom two. drama, yeah. action movie or something. Hundred yeah. percent. So uh, that was the trailer for Crimson Tide. Now, normally we would do action movie tagline. We thought we would skip over today because we didn't want the segment to become a little bit stale. Yeah, there's too much to talk about with this movie that is too entertaining. It's, it's one of those episodes where I just want to like throw this whole thing away and just be like, "How fucking sweet was yeah. this movie?" <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And like, well, we will cover the production stuff. We always do. But like, I look back to some of the episodes, some of my favorite episodes, and it's mostly just like us digging around, quoting lines. <laughs> <laughs> right. like Predator is like arguably my favorite movie, uh, favorite episode we've ever done. And yeah. most of that episode is us just being like, God, they're so sweet when they get out of the helicopter. Yeah. Look at his muscles, Arnold Lean. Dude, speaking of muscles, Denzel boxing in this movie. Young Denzel Pretty shredded. Talk about a guy. He's like Cruz in the sense that he's been famous now in four decades. Like, mm-hmm. you know, has he's been a movie star in four decades. He and he's, de- he's gone through the ups and downs just like Cruz of like different characters and types that he's expected to play. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get into him actually I guess in just one second. But we, we should cover a couple things here. Thesis and fist bump before Absolutely. we do. Absolutely. So this is an interesting one for Thesis. I love movies like this because it's such a simple movie mm-hmm. in so many ways. It feels so awesome to watch. It offers so much as an action movie. Um, but because the ideas – it's one location. It's war. It's the Russians. It's like the ideas are so so clearly distilled and it's like peace, war. Right. You can get a lot of really interesting thoughts out yeah, of Yeah. I mean like the things that are in this movie, it's peace, war, black, white, like above water, below. Like it's – everything's very black and white. Yeah. Cut and dry. The uh, world ends or it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. But it's executed perfectly and – I'm going to jump in with my thesis after you describe what it is because I want everyone to know what we're talking about here. Yeah, so unless, in case you're a first-time viewer, uh, this is the part in the show where we kind of we bring an idea to the table, something we've constructed out of this movie, a really strong opinion. Uh, this is something often rooted in hyperbole. It's, mm-hmm. It should be, this is the greatest this ever, or this is the first time this has ever happened, or this is the most this that's ever been done by this person, something like that. Um, not necessarily the truth, but statement of fact by you. Um, yeah. And, uh, and that, was, that is what thesis statement is. So, All right, so mine is, I mean, other than, like, this is something we talk about because we love Tony Scott so much on this movie. This is, like, the least Tony Scott, Tony Scott movie ever other than, like, True Romance. True, yeah, that'd be the one. But for me, my thesis statement is, is this is the greatest non-action action movie ever made. Because there's literally because no there's action. there's literally no action in this movie at all. But the whole time, it feels like you're a Navy SEAL on the way to the rock in the rock. It's that build. It's that energy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like <laughs> nothing even needs to happen. You right. know what I mean? Like, just the two of them alone is so good. Like, this is not an action movie, but it is so perfect for the show. And it is such a great action movie. It's It's weird. It's what's like it's one an of those anomaly. Things. It's like one of those indicators where I, we always talked about at the beginning of the show. What we were looking for is tone, tone, and, and you can you can actually get tone out of a lot of places, which is why, like in a lot of ways, like Tombstone, the, the tone of that movie is closer to our show than a lot of other westerns. Right. Yet it is still a western, uh, and that's why this movie works so well. It's it's great actors. It's Oscar winning actors squaring off against each other in a Bruckheimer, Don Simpson, Tony Scott action movie, right? With big cliches and big fist pumps. 
like huge score. The scene where all the guys when they find out that the that the Russian commander has surrendered, it's like uh, yeah, yeah! Everybody's everyone each other on the back. Hackman yeah. and Denzel. Oh, it's so good. Uh, all right, so my thesis statement is this: This is the most tasteful handling of racism Ooh. in a Bruckheimer Simpson film to date. I love it. I, think, I, I didn't even think you needed to put Bruckheimer Simpson. Like, I, I don't think ever, but, like, for an action movie, this is incredibly well done. It's so subtle, and it's so intelligent. I would have said I would have said big-budget action, but I think <laughs> that it's ignorant on my part to make the statement, not necessarily knowing in other countries or in other eras if there Absolutely. was a movie that at the time was a big-budget movie that handles it really well. I'm sure there are other great examples. Mm-hmm. I can think of a lot of examples of dramas that do it well. Um, but the fact that this movie was released within... Within three years surrounding Bad Boys, Face Off, The Rock, Con Air, just a few years before Gone in 60 Seconds. I mean, like... It was like movies were transitioning to a different type of action movie. Yeah, this was this was the transition from the success of Top Gun in 86, followed by all these other movies, all these other Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer movies. By the time the mid-90s hit, it was like, the formula and the budget was there. So now, it's like, okay, who can we get? Who's the biggest Oscar winner or the, right. the biggest name who can, you know, put seats, butts in seats? And so... I think it's really pretty miraculous how subtle the script handles racial tension in this movie. And it, the fact that it's 95. It's yeah. so long ago. To do it, it's it so ahead well. of its time, and it's beautifully done, whether it's the disapproving looks that Denzel – I mean that Gene Hackman gives the back of Denzel's head so many times. Yeah. When he says something, he kind of like looks over at him just like, don't – just don't. Yeah. Don't talk. You know, and then the beginning, the short list, and the end, that is almost my favorite line, but it's not. But it's just – Beautifully written. Yeah. When he's talking about the horses yeah. from Portugal, he's like, "But I know they're from Portugal, or they're all white." Yeah. He's like, "Well, they're from Spain, and they're born black." Yeah. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. He's yeah. that smug look on his face. You just want to hit him in the face. I didn't know that, but they are from Portugal. Yeah. The scene when he when he brings Denzel into his quarters, and he's like, oh, "Two yeah. things," and he's like, "Don't question me in front of the men. These are kids out there. They're being asked to do an unthinkable he's thing." Inc- he's patronizing the yeah. shit out of him. Yeah. Yeah. It's just awesome. Like. I, I love it. I just love this movie. Um, all right, so that, that's my thesis statement. And, and the reason I say it is just like, as you said, that scene is, is done so well. Even scenes earlier, it's so clear. It's so, it's so in the air mm-hmm. at all times. You can't help but notice. And one of the things about this movie I love so much, and, and we'll get into this in Fist Pump Moment because this directly relates to my Fist Pump Moment. So, in fact, maybe I'll lead into that and we'll talk about it then. We can, I okay. Can, I can, Wait, I can, can, I, can I jump in really quick? Oh, yeah, I just ahead. have a quick thing that I was thinking, and, I, and, I, and the reason I'm saying this is because I want the audience tweet at us, please, me or Ben, because um, I have a question for you guys, and I, I meant to look this up. The first time that Denzel and, and Hackman meet, they talk about how he's like he's into horses. He's a horseman. Yeah. And he mentions a specific horse. Arabian horse. Hackman, yeah, yeah. Is, is there a reason behind – is there something about an Arabian horse that I don't know? Because that moment for me, yeah. I felt racial undertones, but I didn't know why. And then later on at the end when they have that other conversation about the Portugal horse and yeah. it's, it's much more in your face, I wondered if back then I was like, there had to have been something I missed. So Hackman says, what's the best horse you ever rode? Right, After Arabian. A, and he says Arabian. Arabian horses are very expensive and they're very uh, – they're beautiful and they're elegant. They're not like sort of your common – <clears throat> I don't know, like, you know, your common uh, Hackman says, just give me a something. Right, yeah, like an old. A very common, yeah. like sort of like a cowboy horse. Exactly. Um, and so the idea being that he's like, well, I'm I'm the old cowboy it's white old, guy. Old money, old school, go Bama, like that type of thing. Like, yeah. is that what and he's it like, is? And he's like, you're the, he's like, you know, you're the, the black young gun who's coming in here from from Harvard. In Harvard, yeah. And, you know, it's like, okay. you, you think of yourself as high society riding a nice horse. 
but you know, I'm I just the boss. This. I'm the boss. I don't care what school you went to. I don't care how trained you are. I don't care what kind of horse you ride. You know, it's that. I think that's, it's getting it. No, that. I think that's exactly what it is. So never mind. Don't tweet. Put your phone um, away. Yeah. Or if you have thoughts on it. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you, you know, it's one, two people's interpretation of something, a subject that is laden with history and, and controversial opinion. So please share them with us because it's very interesting. So yes. the next section on the show is called Fist Bump Moment. And this, this is a movie that is made for Fist Bump Moment. Yes. I mean, Fist Bump Moment is that time when you're sitting on the couch and you're like, you're watching the movie and you're sitting there, maybe having a drink or something, something happens. You're like, yes. You look around, you're like, is anybody else seeing this right now? Are you watching us? If nobody's in the room, you maybe get the phone, you're like, hello? Andrew, have you seen Crimson Tide? Seriously, go back and watch Crimson Tide. Oh, there's this one part. 22 just, minutes, 17 seconds in. Trust me. You like do the line for your buddy or like maybe your roommate's in the next room like eating with his girlfriend. You're like, you're like get in here. Get in here. You need to watch this. Uh, that's what your fist bump moment is. And so this movie has so many of them. And that's what it's like to be Ben's friend and roommate. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I'm just I'm, – I made fist bump moment. <laughs> you can't tell. Did, yeah. uh, there's so many sweet ones in this movie. Okay. So this is what I was going to say. And this is, this is why I want to get at uh, – it relates to my last one. Okay. So, okay. Mark, cue up the, uh, the speech if you can, the, the Gene Hackman speech. We just, we have a pretty low, low res version, I think, here to show, but you'll get the idea. Hackman delivers this, this fucking awesome speech. Oh, it's so good. Um, I just want to watch it, but. Okay, we will just watch it, because it's so good. He's so good. It really swells when the score picks up on it. There's a famous coach, Alabama coach named Bear. His name was Bear, something Bear. Something. That's why he, his ship's the Alabama, his dog's name is Bear. Okay, I like that. Denzel's smile when he realizes like how yeah. fun it's going to be is yeah. so good. The front line and the last line of defense. The rain. I expect and demand. Your very best. Love it. Anything less? You should have joined the Air Force. <laughs> the comedy, it's classic. Yeah, it's yeah. perfect, yeah. Here's music. This might be our Commander Chief's Navy. This is my boat. This is our Independence Day. And if you can't, that strange sensation you'll be feeling in the seat of your pants will be my boot in your ass. I love this age for Hackman. Such yeah. a such a I, conniving makes me want to go watch all of his films. So many good ones in between. I mean, going back all the way to the sixties. Oh, but yeah, seventies Hackman is awesome. Eighties Hackman is awesome. Nineties mm-hmm. Hackman. Nineties Hackman is amazing. Tenenbaums even. Two thousands is awesome. You're wearing the name of the ship, aren't you, Mr. Cobb? Very, Very aware, aware, sir. It bears a proud name, doesn't it, Mr. Cobb? Very proud, sir. It represents fine people. Very fine people, sir. Who live in a fine house. On his job. Yeah. In the Okay, All right. so Go Bama Roll Tide is absolutely my fist bump moment. It's so sweet. Yeah. And, and we're both not Bama fans. Yeah, not at all. But the reason that that's my fist bump moment, the thing I like so much about it, and the reason this relates to my thesis, that is indicative to me of 
old the culture of the of the movie and the attitude that is represented by not just the navy not just hackman's character but it's like it's like alabama's this old story program in the south old money white guys mm-hmm. like it's there's always like sort of like a racial undertone when you talk about when you talk about that part of the world and so it's like Denzel is this Harvard guy who comes in to the situation, and I love that the end of such a serious address to the troops. Right. It's a football address. Absolutely. It's go Bama roll tide because it's military, it's dudes, dudes drink beer on Sundays and watch football, they watch college football on Saturdays, and like, it's just, ah, it's just like so old. The painting world. of the two worlds is so perfect. That's why, so that that is my fist bump moment for sure. I also think in some ways it's the most interesting sequence in the movie, it's the most interesting line. This movie is is fascinating for that reason to me. Yeah. I love it. All right. So what I want to do real quick after I mention my fist pump moment is I want to talk about all the other fist pump moments that are honorable mentions because there's so many. But my fist pump moment is it's when it's right after Vigo turns on Denzel. Yeah. He gives in. Webbs gives in finally after he tries so hard. You can tell he's an honorable dude. But he just – he finally gives in. He's the only hope. Webbs. You're the only one the captain said we needed you. He's lost his nerve. So he switches, right? And then when Denzel gets out and he gets on the phone, he goes, Webs, you know. And don't then, do it, Webs. Don't, don't do it. Yeah. And then, again, it's he says it. Webs, you're the only one that can, can save us. Like, you're yeah. the only one that can. So, uh, he gets put right in the middle of it again. He's made to make this decision two times in a row. Can he wrong or can he do what he's done? Uh, blah. Can he right his wrong? And Webs looks down at the seaman who looks up at him and he's like, get back to your station. Yeah, it's, it's so, so good. Then he just stands there and he smokes his cigarette as Hackman comes in. My fist pump moment is absolutely the phone call from Denzel yeah. to Vigo. It's so good. So good. What are your honorable mention fist pumps? Oh, dude, there's so many good ones. Like, I, okay, my favorite line is one of them, so I'll save it for later. Okay. Um, that's absolutely one of them. I really, really love when he finally takes the ship from, from Hackman, because Hackman's trying to go for it. And he says, Lock, uh, Lock, Captain Ramsey, in his, and then like, uh, Cobb goes, Come on, sir. He goes, Do it now, Cobb! Yeah. Now, Cobb! So like, good. He's like, Yes, sir. And like, it's just, I don't know, man. This movie is just full of sweet moments. I love that first moment when Denzel has to make a call. Yeah. He has to kill those guys to basically let them drown. Yeah. See, we lose them or we lose the whole ship. You know, he's like, shut that door. You've been giving your orders. Shut your mouth. Do it. And then you see Zahn still trying. And he gets hit with that thing. So gnarly, but so sweet. And he closes the thing and he's like, cabin secured, sir. Oh, God, this movie's good. Yeah. It's All right, those are our two honorable mentions. We, we can move on. <laughs> uh, so your fist bump moment, you, you shared yours absolutely. It's 100% that call. Okay, okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha. I love it. Um, all right, so that uh, <laughs> takes care of thesis and fist pump. God, this movie's sweet. Uh, <laughs> Mark, did you – I know you just watched it last night. Mark, for those of you listening, is our producer who's working the booth. And Yeah, did you have particularly a fist pump moment, one moment that stuck out for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. a good captain. 
Yeah, absolutely, so man. So sweet. All right, so let's uh, <laughs> let's jump a little bit into where these guys were in their careers because they were very much on opposite ends of the spectrum when this movie came out. Uh, for Denzel, he his three most recent films he had done prior to this were Philadelphia in 1993. He had done The Pelican Brief in 93, and Much Ado About Nothing in 93. He was very much a star at yeah. this point. He had already done Malcolm X. At this point, he had already done Glory. He had already done Devil in a Blue Dress. I mean, he. I mean, Philadelphia was a huge movie, so he's very much a movie star by 95. Right, but he's not Denzel yet. But he hadn't... I think he was just becoming Denzel. Right. Because he hadn't been... He hadn't been, like, ageless and timeless for a decade yet. He was in his first decade. This Mm -hmm. is sort of, like, right as his star was where it was. Because I think... I want to say the hurricane is, like, four years later, and he wins the Oscar for Training Day, like, seven or eight years after this. So mm-hmm. that later part of the... I mean, remember the Titans, I think, is like 99, 98, 99, somewhere in there. I feel like this is the beginning of just like... I mean, even with Philadelphia, that's that's more Tom Hanks than anything. Exactly, yeah. But like this movie is kind of one of those moments of like, both these guys have just enough going on. You yeah. know what I mean? Like Gene Hackman, he, he's... He's not slowing down, but it's not the same type of star power that yeah. you get from a leading man. Uh, I think that the casting of this was just perfect. Yeah, Hackman was getting put into movies like The Firm in 94, mm-hmm. or he ended up doing, you know, as we said, by the time he did Tenenbaums, which is truthfully only like seven or eight years after this, that's where you can sort of see he's like kind of at the end of his rope. Yeah, he's Runaway Jury, I want to say it's like 03. Enemy of the State in 95. I think it's 99, but yeah, that's like, yeah, that's like right. yeah, 99. That's like right as he's getting to the tail end of his like, I can still do this part of his career. Yeah. So, and and this is, you know, but I love this part of his career in particular um, because French Connection 71, I think, unless Mm -hmm. I'm mistaken, you know, that's, I mean, that's 24 years before this movie. And French Connection is when he's the guy. I mean, Unforgiven. He won the Oscar for Unforgiven. Right, that was three years was before ninety two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, he is very. This is like the 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 sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for? His his swan song kind of his final sort of decade of right. awesome, where he's getting those you know those premiere roles. I know they wanted Beatty for this. They wanted Warren Beatty for this role. Could be good, but yeah. Hackman's perfect. Yeah, they had talked to him. So uh, Hackman just kills it. Um, so then, so Hackman, The Quick and the Dead, ninety five, Wyatt Earp in ninety four, and then Geronimo. Geronimo. An American legend in 93. Um, funny that he was in Wyatt Earp in 94 after winning the Oscar for Unforgiven in 92. Yep. Um, Wyatt Earp. Same year, or the year after Tombstone. It wasn't the same, or was it the next year? That was the next year, but yeah, whatever. Within a year of it, though. Yeah, I mean, like, <clears throat> definitely not, none of those three movies register for people as classics. Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't register for people as a classic. But the. Which is weird because this movie is such a classic when you go back and I think it gets overshadowed a lot by K19. Or, uh, I mean, excuse me, the Hunt for Red October. Hunt for October, yeah. yeah. Like, that's kind of the submarine movie. Totally. You know what I mean? There's Das Boot, and there's K-19, there's U-571. Right. But Crimson Tide and the Hunt for Red October are the two, but Red October is, like, far and away much more recognized than this. Which is interesting. We will do Red October on the show 100% at some point. I like Red October a lot. I think that movie's really sweet. I don't remember it at all. It's it's really compelling. I don't think it's as sweet as this, though. Like, it's a better movie in the sense that it's sort of more timeless. Oh, we still have to do The Edge! I just remember we haven't done that movie yet! Oh, my God. So excited. 
Just hit me that we hadn't done a movie yet. I know. I, wanted, I just thought about The Hunted. The Hunted just popped oh, in my yeah. head. I really want to do Benicio. that. And Tommy Lee. Yeah. Love oh, Tommy so Lee. So good. Um, so, uh, but anyway, that's the, that's pretty much where these guys were in their career. We can we can move on. Yeah, this is an intro- interesting production development because we've talked about Tony Scott before. We've talked about Simpson and Bruckheimer, but we know there's first-time viewers. we we gotta we got to pay the respect to these guys anyway. But the writers of this film are basically nobodies. you got Michael Schiffer and Richard P. Henrik, who... Henrik is a novelist, and he's known for being, like, an expert of naval yeah, yeah, fiction. Yeah. Um, I think that's why he was brought on for this film, because he's literally done nothing else. Yeah. He's written no other films. Uh, he wrote a TV story or TV film called Counter-Strike, I believe. Yeah. Um, like 02, I think. Yeah. And then um, <clears throat> he's written, like, uh, you know, over 10 books. He's written, like, t- almost 20 books. He lives in St. Louis. He's not in the business anymore. Not a lot to talk about. Same with Schiffer. Schiffer is an interesting guy. He did Colors and Lean on Me, and then he did this film. Yeah. And, and I think people kind of felt that he he knew what he was doing. Yeah. But then he did Four Feathers and The Peacemaker, and I think he just retired. Either that or I don't think anyone wanted to work with him anymore. Yeah. So he went on to write video games, like yeah. the script for video games, and he penned the beginning, the first two Call of Duties, and yeah. also Call of Duty uh, Finest Hour. Yeah. Which, if you play the Call of Duty games, they're amazing. Uh, but it's just interesting, like, to have... Yeah those people that wrote such a good script. Well, I think, I think colors when I was talking about other films that I can think of that handle the subject of, of racial tension and racism and prejudice. Well, Mm -hmm. uh, colors was actually one of the movies in my head. Okay. Um, and it probably was put there by when we were doing the research for the seeing it and it coming to mind, but it's much more heavy handed. I mean, the fucking movie's called colors. Yeah, exactly. Like like it's really good, but like that's a, a little bit in my face. Um, Lean on Me is a really good movie. Yeah, like, those are those are both well respected colors. And Lean on Me, Peacemaker's a weird movie. It's a weird. Wasn't that? Is it Kidman and Clooney? Yeah, yeah. And, and it gets it's it's uh, Clooney just before he's Clooney. Yeah, like it's right a year before. I want to say it's like a year before Batman, and it's like a year before Three Kings. He was like transitioning it's right from around the same ER, time right? out of sight. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know he was a guy that people bought the brand, but it wasn't like George Clooney yet. Um, and so it just gets kind of dismissed. Mm-hmm. I want to say Peacemaker is directed by somebody relevant. It's not a very good movie. I remember watching it. It's not horrible, yeah. but it's just not very good. And then Four Feathers is like a period piece that just people get – it gets forgotten. Highlight of the movie is that if you love Heath Ledger, he's in that movie. Yes, he's very good. Um, so then Tony Scott. Tony Scott is uh, just a gangster. Like He's a hero on the – I mean there's a few people that we talk about on this show. Yep. And Tony Scott's one of them. Tom Cruise, Denzel. Like these are our boys. Yeah, Tony Scott. We've often Bruce Berman. Yeah, Bruce Berman. <laughs> Bruce Berman, the berm. Uh, we've often said we've often said about Tony Scott that his finest work is are the movies that he uses Denzel Washington. This was their first collaboration. Mm-hmm. He went on after this movie to reunite with him in 03 for Man on Fire, and then three more times subsequently with Deja Vu, The Taking of Film One Two Three, and Unstoppable. Many people would say this is the best film they did together, yeah. or Man on Fire. Those other three are not very well respected, um, but they made enough money. Interesting here is that the other four movies have a very distinct style. A style that he started to really move towards in the mid part of the 2000s. He's one of the most stylized directors out there. And this movie, there's some weird stylistic stuff here where he's doing the tilt, the camera tilt. Yeah, and we've talked about this. And the first time that we watched this film together was right before we even started the show. Yeah. And uh, I hadn't hadn't seen it in so long that I didn't remember anything about it. It really bothered me the first time I watched it. Yeah. Like, it just seemed cheap and tacky and it was not doing what it – intended to do yeah this second time around um it's not as bad yeah it, it didn't bother me as much i, I still we, you called it out at one point and i was like yeah. oh yeah there it is again 
and it's it's just to try to simulate like being in a moving submarine. It's just very like everything about this movie is like super intense, yeah. which is like kind of what the movie is supposed to be about. Which is so funny because the best part about it is its subtleties. Yeah, it doesn't. It has like basically almost no action. So Tony Scott. Um, is responsible for a number of movies you'd know. The ones we just mentioned, as well as the fact that his, I believe his first Bruckheimer Don Simpson collaboration, or within his first couple, was Top Gun in 1986. Yeah. Which then I believe he went on to do Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yep. Um, he did True Romance in 94, which was a Tarantino script. Uh, and then, I mean, he's, he's done a ton of movies, Enemy of the State. He's the younger brother of Ridley Scott. Never got the critical acclaim that Ridley got. Mm-mm. It was just kind of never in the same category in most people's minds. But uh, there's that great quote, right, that we had here. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> I think that every single time that we talk about Denzel Washington and Tony Scott, which we can only do two more times, unfortunately, yeah. uh, on the show, Betsy Sharkey from the Los Angeles Times wrote this, and Ben, you can read it. Um, I think that it's beautiful, and I think it completely sums up their relationship on film. Yeah, yeah. So she says of Denzel and Tony Scott, and she says, Scott was at his best when Washington was in the picture. The characters the actor played are the archetype of the kind of men Scott made. At their core and what guided all the actions that followed was a fundamental decency. They were flawed men, to be sure, some more than others, but men who accorded a dignity to anyone who deserved it. And it's awesome because it's like we've, when we talk about Denzel, I've used the phrase the noble, the noble savage before. Yep. Um, it's like he's just got this – he'll get his hands dirty if he has to. Right. But he wants to accord, you know, live according to honor and respect. I mean, he got pushed to the to, to the point where he's like, "No, you will not, sir." And then he takes yeah. over the ship because to the limit. There's nowhere else to go. He's already he's he will not break the rules to do what is right. Yeah. But the moment that he knows that he can do what's right with backing, he jumps on it. Right. So okay, like go, jumping back to the writers for a second, um, there, there's a scene in this movie where. Denzel and Hackman are facing off in a mess hall about the nature of war. Mm. And the Oh yeah. And so they hired Robert Town. Robert Town, for those of you that don't know, is in one of the most esteemed screenwriters of all time. Um, his crowning achievement is the fact that he wrote Chinatown, uh, as, along with like just at least a dozen, a dozen other movies, a ton of really good ones, very memorable movies. Um, they called Robert Town because they needed a rewrite and they wanted the scene to really hit. And it's and they got him to essentially narrate, basically narrate a rewrite of the scene over the phone in an emergency within a day of shooting the actual scene. Yeah. And it's it's one of the most poignant scenes of the film where Denzel in the end says, "Well, sir, I believe that the nature of war or, or the enemy is war itself." Yeah. And Denzel is just like so like or Hackman. He's yeah. Just, he hates he it because all, Hack- all Hackman knows is war. Yeah. And like the. He's you can't reason with him. It's literally an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object with the two of these guys. Yeah, it's uh, w- w- what's the line? It is that uh, war is an extension of politics by other means, uh-huh. um, which is what they end up discussing. So I think that's really cool. There was there was another couple rewriter uh, rewrites that people brought in. Tarantino actually is the most interesting of, of all of them, which is funny because he just did this on True Romance. Yeah, so he had sold the script um, for True Romance. Tony Scott directed it. People loved the movie. It did really well. So the next year when they're making this movie, uh, Tarantino gets hired to come in and do some rewrites. 
and it's the, the the pop culture references in the script, the Silver Surfer references, right. the Star which Trek is, references. Which is also a fist pump moment of mine. Yeah. He's like, no, anybody that has read the comics knows. Yeah. The, and that's when you get it. It's like, oh, okay, this guy's cool. It's so He's corny, cool but it's so awesome. Yeah. So those are Tarantino lines. I heard a story. It's so effective is what it is. I heard a story that when Tarantino came on set, Denzel confronted him in front of the full cast and crew about his use of the N-word in his films. Um <laughs> Just like, just to do it. Just like, hey man, just been wondering. Yeah, and it made Tarantino extremely uncomfortable of to the course. point that he was like, can we talk about this uh, in a more private setting? And Denzel was like, no, we can talk about it in front of everybody. And then later on, Denzel has gone on to, on record to say, I still believe Tarantino is a fine artist. So like, he respects him, but I just yeah. thought that was, I thought that was I cool. I mean, he, Denzel seems like the type of guy where if he wants a question answered, and Tarantino's basically a nobody at this point, yeah. he's going to ask him, and you're going to answer his question right then. Doesn't mean he doesn't respect it. It's yeah. one of those things where if you're going to do it, Make it worthwhile. Yeah. Make it matter. Don't just have it there to have it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause he, it's because Tar- Tarantino's <clears throat> character in Pulp Fiction the year before actually says the word several times. Yeah. Uh, in a, in a pretty, pretty rough manner. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard to say that word in not a rough manner. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I would say so. Um, so, uh, anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. As far as the producers go, I mean, once again, if you're a new viewer or listener, Bruckheimer and Don Simpson are sort of, there's an upper echelon of producers on this type of film. Yeah. I mean, those two, if you go and look up the IMDb for Bruckheimer and, and Simpson, Simpson has since passed, but I mean, oh, and speaking of which, Tony Scott has also passed. We didn't mention that in yeah. his, in his, he, he committed suicide several years ago, but. Rest in peace, brother. Yeah, 100%. Um, I actually just spoke with, I'm just jumping all over the place, but yeah. at the SAG Awards, I got to interview Kevin Dunn, who is the principal in Warrior. He's the dad in Transformers. Yeah. He's, a lot of people know his face. And I started talking about Tony a little bit because he's in, unstoppable yes he's unstoppable with him and uh, he was like god that was so sad he's like what an artist what a great great talent you know he just had such a sense of such a sense of light and framing and, and it was it was fun to hear somebody who had worked with him and really missed him uh, talk about him a little bit but always wearing his baseball cap just down to earth hard working guy I've heard good stories about him yeah, yeah our friend Anthony who was on uh, who was on here for the Warrior episode who wrote Warrior uh, had, had met with him about working on some projects before he passed as well and had some great things to say about him extremely hospitable apparently yeah I mean and, and to get back into Bruckheimer and Simpson um, just go and look at what they did this is again one of those situations that we talk about on the show where like you get someone like James Cameron as a producer not the director but when he's producing stuff uh, same with Bruckheimer and uh, who's another one of the biggest action movies we talk about a producers? lot. I mean Black Silver or Silver excuse me Joel Silver or like I mean something like Bruce Berman like, yeah just go and look because it'll do it, it'll be doing you a lot bigger favor than us talking about what they've done but you know Pirates Beverly Hills Cop this movie The Rock like he's They've Bad got their boys, hand everything. Armageddon. I mean, just tons of movies. All the, the whole and the whole brand of movies, everything from like Gone in sixty seconds to Face Off, Con Air. You know, as you said, Bad Boys, Days of Thunder. Like, there's all these movies that these guys produced. They had they were very formulaic to the point that people sort of resented the style. Right. Intelligent filmgoers. You'd see that Bruckheimer Simpson thing at the beginning of a, of a movie, and you'd be like, "All right, well, let's see." But in in <clears> retrospect, <throat> it's aged in a way that is extremely entertaining and. Uh, I, I very much enjoy. It's, yeah. It's like, it's a staple of our childhood. Well, the thing that's so great about them is that they, uh, well, and Bruckheimer mainly, uh, is he, he's evolved. He always evolves with yeah. the changing times and like, that's why he can do The Rock and Armageddon and Bad Boys and then go and do the Pirates movies and do them well. You yeah. know what I mean? Totally. He, he knows where the, the thing is going, where the genre is going. Um, this movie was, we're going to get into our critical and box office section here and, and this movie is critically acclaimed pretty well um, but the the numbers on it are they're medium. 
I think lukewarm yeah. is like the best word I'd to use so. for it. So uh, it was the studio was Buena Vista. It cost fifty three million dollars to make, and it was released in May of nineteen ninety five. Uh, domestically, it made ninety one million dollars, so it almost doubled its budget domestically, which is great. And then worldwide, it made sixty six million for a grand total of one hundred and fifty seven million dollars. Yeah, for a submarine movie in ninety five. Tripling its budget, I think that's pretty great. Yeah, it's rock solid. You know, I mean, it opened at number one at eighteen million, and and it just kind of kept trucking along. Yeah, it finished eleventh. You can throw up the box office graphic here. I mean, it finished eleventh domestically on the year, which, um, which this year it's a tough year to compete with the movies that there are that's on here. I mean, like okay, Die Hard three finished ahead of it. Like the fact that seven. I mean, as good of a movie as Seven is, as much as I like Seven, it, it doesn't strike me as a movie that would have made more money in theaters than Crimson Tide. It's It seems yeah, more of a it drama. Does. It's kind of a slasher movie. The other movies, though, they they all seem to make sense. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe, maybe Ace Ventura 2, but people loved Ace Ventura Yeah, I mean, that was when Jim Carrey could literally do no wrong. Yeah. But, first of all, just like going back, how far do we have all 25 of Okay, just going back and looking at movies that came out in 95. Yeah. Like, when we do these with old box offices, like... I love 90% of the movies on here. Well, okay. Does it, do you find it strange that, like, when you talk about this is number 11 that year? I mean, Scratching Waterworld, which is number 12, just because it's, like, a huge flop. But, like, like the, the three three movies that are listed after that, uh, Dangerous Minds, Mr. Holland's Opus, and While You Were Sleeping. Right. Like, I would have expected Crimson Tide to make significantly more money than those movies. Right. Like, but what about Braveheart and Congo and Heat? Yeah, so sweet. You know what I mean? Like it's Outbreak, Mortal Kombat, yeah. Grumpier Old Men. Your soul is mine. <laughs> yeah, Grumpier Old Men. Which is it's just like it's so crazy that when you when you go back and you look at box offices from that time, it just completely speaks to who we were as a society at that moment. Would you guys watch an episode if we did Mortal Kombat One from nineteen ninety five? Would you guys watch it? Tweet at us. Yes. Let us <laughs> at AMA Podcast, at Ben Bateman Media, at Andrew Guy, or leave it in the comments. If we can get 20 people, unique tweets or comments telling us to do Mortal Kombat, right. it'll be like an emergency episode. Oh, yeah, we'll do it. Because that movie is just... Both of, they're all so sweet. Oh, I love it. <laughs> love that movie. That scene with the first scene with Johnny Cage. Oh, yeah. Where do you get these guys? You, this is the this part is where you, you fall, fall down. down. Yeah. yeah. And he, like, throws himself. Oh, I love it. I want Kano. I had to I open up the movie. live chat. Yeah. Um, why don't you get into Critical while I look over here and just see how many people are going to rave about Mortal Kombat real quick. <laughs> um, all right. So um, let's see. Where did I put this? All right. So for Critical, this movie got a, a – uh, Seven point three on IMDb. Seven point three is pretty good. Um, yeah, it's it's not amazing, but it's it's quite good. It's above average by a significant margin. Uh, even like a six point eight is is reasonable. Seven point one is the baseline of pretty good. So seven point three is respectable. Eighty seven, ninety two, eighty three for all all critics, top critics, and audience score <clears throat> on uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. I find it strange that top critics gave this movie a ninety two percent. It doesn't seem like it's up their alley. I I know. I was looking at those numbers, and there was like something about it where I was just like. I don't know if the 92 and the 83 should be switched or if the two critics should be dropped like 30% or what it is. But it's, something about it, when you when you look at these numbers as much as we do, just seems a little off. Well, never in a million years would you expect a Bruckheimer Simpson movie with the, the kind of dialogue and the kind of scenes this movie has that the audience score would be the lowest of the three. Right. That's never the case. Yeah, no. I, and I think it's maybe because it was advertised as a sweet action movie and there's no action in it. And maybe I mean maybe it's more it's considered by people to be more of a drama even though to us it feels like more of an action movie. So it looks like no one was quite as excited as we were. No one. One person met, mentioned only the first Mortal Kombat, please. <laughs> That's the only only thing they wrote. Fair enough. Whatever. Wow. We'll see what happens. 
Um, all right, yeah, so it, it, this movie was nominated for three Oscars. Of course, they were all technical. He had film editing, best effects, and sound effects. Um, Hans Zimmer, interestingly enough, won a Grammy for his score in this film, yet it. was not nominated for an Academy Award for huh. the same score. Only five times in history has that happened. This is one of the five Right, times. we've talked about it before on the show with a different score, like a certain thing happening like that. Dark Knight was won the Grammy, was not nominated for an Oscar. Uh, a couple others come to mind, but... Uh, I thought that was interesting. It's a great score. It's it really fits the movie well. The best effects is funny to me because um, yeah. I think it's it's best effects, best sound effects, yeah. which makes more sense because the effects, like the fact that they couldn't get permission from the Navy to show or to use their submarines yeah. on camera, yeah. so they had to use that like really cheap cutaway of like a submarine like almost uh, submerging like five times the yeah. first time they go down. Yeah, but that's also a sweet scene when he's up there smoking a cigar. It's really good. The very last time, it's like he didn't ruin it. He shut up. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So they, so yeah, because they, that's that's an interesting part because the navy, the navy wouldn't support this movie. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't sign off on the idea of a mutiny on a on a navy boat, and so Tony Scott had to like fly. It's within his legal rights to fly a helicopter above a submerging submarine and just film it, and they did it Genius. like a bunch of times, and then that's the shot that they used in the movie. It's real footage, but it's like of a real, actually submerging like submarine. Just a normal, yeah, the real USS Alabama. Okay, it was the real one. Yeah. Wow, I believe so. Yeah, I wasn't sure if they put that in like with effects or not, but that's I love it. I love it. No, yeah. you can't do it. Cool, I'll just videotape you guys doing it. Save me a yeah, bunch so of money and time. And when they were like, "Fly," and they were like, "Get out of here," and he's like, "No, they submerged." And he's like, "That's what I wanted anyway. That's the <laughs> shot I needed." So, <laughs> um, yeah. So Janet Maslin gives uh, from the New York Times gives this movie a rotten review, saying, "Isn't there something awfully satisfying about the throbbing missiles and cathartic explosions that constitute that can constitute the film's main excitement?" Maybe so, but nothing else here delivers a compare, comparable thrill. Which is so wrong to my to, in, to me. I feel like the only – I feel like you could ex- switch those two things and it would be 100% right. Yeah, I guess I would agree with you like completely. Because like the missiles and the explosions, I don't give a shit about that. No. Oh, torpedoes launched. They're not going to get sunk. Okay, I know they're not going to get sunk. Full left. Yeah. yeah. Right or left. It's like, all right. Release sweet. countermeasures. Yeah. yeah. Release count. How many countermeasures do we have? <laughs> Enough. I, I, it's, and nothing else is comparable through. The only thrill in this movie is the conversations between Denzel and Hackman. Like, they're, they're and, beauty. Oh, are they thrilling? Oh, so good. Um, James Berardinelli of Real Views. Yeah, you always love to do those. Said, because of the contained environment, submarines make great settings for thrillers. With the throbbing of the engine sounding like a pulse, Crimson Tide is no exception. The atmosphere alone is sufficient enough to keep the audience on edge. I just realized I picked two reviews with the word throbbing in both of them. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny to me. Word association. Is. What is good about this movie? Throbbing. Throbbing. That's what comes to mind. Equestrians. Um, yeah, so... I, you know, I thought about this because when, when Matt Haggerty came on uh, the first time when we did Air Force One, the mm-hmm. very first episode, he talked about a trend of movies in the 90s where it was like, put everybody on uh, X yes. and see what happens. Try to make them try to get out, essentially. It, it, it starts with Die Hard. Put them all in a building. Let them love soon. Put them on a bus and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Put them in a submarine and see what happens. You, It's like, put everybody in one location, pressure cook that location. And uh, it was a formula that worked really well. Yeah. In a I lot mean, of these every movies. Thing, I mean, those movies you just mentioned, all of them, we were probably going to do on our show eventually. Con Air. Con Air. Way. Air Force One. Speed. You know yeah. what I mean? It's brilliant. Yeah. it's it's uh, It works. It works very, very well. And I think that's funny that he, he is able to point that out. Um, so 
This next part of our show is favorite line. It's almost as sweet as fist bump. It's kind of the same thing. It, it, yeah. And I've been saving my favorite line. I would have just used it as a fist bump honorable mention. I can't. I mean, when you say it, it might pop in my head. But usually when you have a favorite line. I say it so many times. You scream it at me all week long. Right. <laughs> this is true. What is it? <laughs> okay. It's right here. It says, uh, this captain minister <laughs> will always travel on the wrong side of the border. Damn him. Damn that man. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. So. It's when they're taking Captain Ramsey under the ship uh, to, to lock him in his quarters. And he says, <clears throat> Captain Ramsey, on operating procedures governing the, re- the release of nuclear weapons, we cannot launch our missiles unless both you and I agree. Yeah. Like, that's my favorite line so of the whole good. movie. Yeah, that's so sweet. I also, I love that line. But I also love during the speech, which says, this might be your commander-in-chief's boat. Or no, this is, what's he say? But this uh, is my ship! Yeah, exactly. Something like that, yeah. Or his, his, his navy. That's, I think, my other favorite line. It's so good. I really uh, blew it on those lines just now. We can do the we can do the whole show over again <laughs> you if you just want. Start it over. <laughs> uh, my favorite line is said pretty early. Well, there's I have the, the real quick one is get that radio fixed, Vosla. I, I could have built one by now. Yeah. I love that line, but my I need warp speed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is uh, we're here to preserve democracy, not practice it. Yeah, it's a good line. It's a good line, and it it happens so early on in the movie. You can just tell uh, you they do such a great job of painting the old XO. Yeah. With having never met him or hearing anything about him, that you, I am pretty sure he's just a complete yes man that just shut his mouth and yeah. did everything that Hackman said. Yeah, totally. And and you get it any time that Denzel even voices his opinion, his you can see the annoyance on his face. So that line for me just sums up perfectly yeah. like the relationship that he's gonna have with his exo. It's not out of respect. But the men love I mean, the men love Hackman. They love Rams. They do. They respect half, him. Well half of them. They all love him. Yeah. That, that's true. They all love him, but I think half of them know he's just batshit. You can't just blow up another country because right. you want to, you know? I mean, as it said at the end of the movie, both uh, both of their actions were consistent with, like, moral obligations, but not necessarily with preserving the safety of the country because right. he got the order to launch, and what if they had waited for the confirmation? And right, and all the other songs were gone. And, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, that's and that's why it's an interesting movie, and that's when I'm sure you're sitting at a pitch table and you're looking at a script and you're talking about making a movie, that's that's mm-hmm. what's interesting about it. Well, th- another thing that, another review that I read that was great was Ebert was talking about this movie and he said that he loves this movie but my favorite thing about this movie despite how good it is as an action movie and blah, 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 is that when you leave the theater, it gives you something to talk about. Right. Whether it's the racial issues, whether it's the, um, what you were just talking about with like, did they make the right decision or whether it's just like the, the feelings being brought up about Russia, the Cold War and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like, that is what I love about this movie is that it's intelligent. Yeah. And completely. it sparks conversation. So if you guys have a favorite line, tweet or tweet in or leave in the comments. Um, let's talk about hero villain ranking. Surprisingly, they both rank for me. Really? Yeah, absolutely, man. Think- like Denzel is, is low. If we can pull mine up. Oh, we got them both. Perfect. Uh, I have Denzel at 50th. <clears throat> okay. And the reason that I did that is because once that list gets full – He's going to get bumped off. Yeah. And he he is the most likely candidate to get bumped off because the people that are right in front of him, like, I still think they're so much cooler than he is. But yeah. I still just love this character. I love I love that his morals – again, it's exactly what we talked about with what Betsy Sharkey said about yeah. Denzel's characters and Tony Scott. That's why he's on my list. Yeah, he's on my list. He's a little higher. I put him at number 42. I just – I can't think of that many – like heroes in movies that I love, for instance um, – Let's just say somebody I have, I think, lower than him is Jack Traven from Speed that I have at number 49. 
I really like Jack Traven. I yeah. think he's a very fun character. He's enjoyable to watch. This is a better character than Jack Traven. This yeah. is just because I just because I like speed the movie a lot doesn't necessarily mean that like the character is as high as the movie. Whereas this character, I like a lot. He's not he's not memorable in a lot of the ways that some of these great <clears throat> heroes are, but he's very solid. Yeah, he's very solid. Um, he I he would be on my team. I would pick him. You know what I mean? Yeah, completely. Now Hackman, on the other hand, if you pull up our villains, yeah, he's real sweet. He's he's a lot higher on yours than he is on mine. Yeah, and I. I just love him though. He's, He's great. so yeah. good. Like I have him at eighteen, um, <clears throat> which is which is moderately high. It's pretty high. You put him one behind Bodie though. I appreciate that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I had. I, well, I knew that I would never hear the end of it, but. Um, it's. Well, I mean, he's not intimidating at all. When he hits Denzel in the face twice and Denzel doesn't flinch, not only is that a sweet fist pump moment, yeah, but uh, he's just not intimidating. No. He's just like an angry old man, but he does slightly redeem himself at the end of the film. Totally, yeah. And he's just he, he's doing what he thinks is right. He's honorable. When I looked at when I looked at mine, I was like, okay, so even Drago is like a very entertaining villain from from the point of view that he's. You know, <laughs> he's so cardboard. Yeah, he's like an awesome, like just just a villain to be a villain. And you know, like okay, Commodus, who's like really awesome, like love Commodus. He's not likable to just, me. Just stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> so this this guy falls in an interesting category where like Tommy Conlon is more intimidating and he's more memorable to me in some ways. Like the movie's more memorable and he's right. a big part of it. Um, but Captain Frank Ramsey is like he's like a. A really, really great character. He's a, yeah, he's a great character more than he's a great villain, right? Absolutely, he's the villain, but he's a great character. I mean, it's, it's exactly like with, uh, as you can see at the bottom of Ben's list, when he thinks of Sam Gerard, yeah. which I just added on my list. Totally fucking sweet. Probably, probably should do that at some point. You just decided to leave my comment and add him to your list. Well, I added him to my list last week, but your <laughs> comment's so sweet. I just want to leave it there. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, all right, where do you put the movie on the all-time list? Uh, my, no, I was a little confused. Uh, this one, mine's a lot lower than yours. Gotcha. Uh, I have it at number 27, I believe, and it's after Face Off, but in front of John Wick. Okay. And after the, Face Off, in front of John Wick. Yeah, the reason that I did this is because a lot of the times when I come in, because this is, again, it's a combination of our greatest and our favorites, and a right. big part of that for me is rewatchability. Yeah. I love this movie. I really enjoyed it. I would probably watch it over... Like, 90% of the time over all the movies that it's in front of. Yeah. But I could never want to watch it over Face Off or Rogue Nation, I don't think. Like, if I had only seen all of them once, yeah. I would pick those two movies over this one. I would say this. <clears throat> I saw Crimson Tide for the first time probably four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't watch it growing up. This wasn't on my list. Uh, maybe it was last. Maybe it was three years ago. I watched it again maybe a year ago and then again now. So I've seen it three times. And... I've enjoyed it more each time I've watched it. Um, this this time in particular, I was just like, God, this movie's sweet. Yeah, from from the first time to this time, I literally enjoyed it probably like a hundred times more. And so that's why when I was looking at this list and I was thinking about the movies to put it ahead of, it was like, okay, I can't put it ahead of it was it was that and Man on Fire were like toss ups. Right. I'm, glad, I'm glad that it didn't pass Man on Fire. What I want to do is I want to watch Man on Fire again, and I want to see how it makes me feel watching it again. Because I think some of Man on Fire, some of his actions seem sort of frivolous. Right. The thing is that the relationship in Man on Fire between him and Dakota Fanning is, is so great. Um, and his – that's why I think Man on Fire is just, just a touch of it. I think it's a better movie. And then the movies ahead of that, it's like Predator and MI3, Born right. Identity. It's not going <clears> to pass those. 
you know, Last Samurai, it's right on the level. It's one ahead of Samurai for me. Tombstone <sighs> is much more flawed. Tombstone, though it has sweet performances, the movie itself is not as good. Um, speed is campier. Like, the performances uh, in this movie are so good. They're really good. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So, uh, yeah, I, I put it pretty high. I put it at number 16. Um, all right. Should we? Shall we? Should we get into Should our... Should we do it? So this is the <laughs> section of the show where we take the movie, we move it to another era. So this is a 1995 movie. We're going to move it to modern day. If you were mm-hmm. to remake this film and recast some of the major roles, who would you recast those roles with? Uh, the hashtag for this is hashtag master recaster. You let us know who you think did the best job. You tweet at us. Let us know. We'll tweet back at you. Once again, the Twitter is at AMA Podcast. I'm at Ben Bateman Media, and this is at Andrew Guy. Let's get into it. Let's start with recasting. And I'm at Andrew Guy. <laughs> Very good, sir. <laughs> All right then. All right then. Let's uh, let's start with Vigo. Vigo Mortensen. I went with Sweaty Vigo. Sweaty Vigo. <laughs> I love that. I love that. How much everyone's sweating in this movie. Yeah. Um, Mister Taylor Kitsch. Oh, very solid. I like it because he's. He, I, I think he's got that that sincerity about him. Yeah. Because the whole time Vigo's a badass, but then when you question his morals, he sticks to his guns. Completely. I can see Kitsch doing that. Yeah, I love Kitsch. I'm a big fan. Um, I went with Army Hammer. Um, I, I don't dislike that at all. Yeah. I just haven't seen him do enough to where I'm like, oh, I want to watch him do this. I think I could see him handling the sort of like the moral – like you want to believe he's a good guy right. based on the way his sort of – the way he looks, the, his posture, oh, his the jawline. the looks that Denzel gives him yeah. the first time when he overturns him. And, yeah, he's a little – he's a little – like Vigo's like a little bit less sort of, of a leading man yeah. by the general – I mean, I don't know. He's just less of a leading man. Mm-hmm. Army Hammer's like a very handsome dude. So, um, but I think he would handle this. I think he would hamder hamder. That doesn't work. I think he would handle this role really well. Oh, I see what you're trying to do there. Hammer. That's a shame. That's a shame that you did that on live air. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't his name sound like he should be like a James Dean era actor? Army Hammer. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. All right. So for Gandolfini, who is, I just love that. Like. 90% of Gandolfini in this movie yeah. is cut to him making a sinister face. Totally. Just like looking like a douche. Just, and just looking angry. He's such, eh. a, good, he's such a good brute. He's he like, is. He's brooding, a brooding brute. Uh, I went with Gleason because we did Troy last week. <laughs> and I just think about Brendan Gleason. He has a really good, like, angry face. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think of a movie I'm, uh, that he was. Oh, it's, it's in Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. When he's like the doctor and he's, right. he gets kidnapped and all that. I think he'd be. I think he'd kill it as Gandolfini in this. I think for me, Gleason. The the issue I would have with Gleason at this point is that I think when you go with a with a navy or military movie, people's ranks based on their age right. have to be kind of. Otherwise, they're they've been <laughs> the same like idiots. Yeah, like you can't respect them because they're too old for their rank. Right. And I think Gleason, compared to the age of a lot of the other cadets and the other uh, seamen, I think he would be a little too old for the role. I feel like Gandolfini's like that guy that's never going to move up or down, though. He's just he's just maybe. happy being in the middle. Because yeah, he's kind of a breeze, kind of a dick. Yeah. So maybe, maybe he's like just he just like likes to follow the captain. And yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Gandolfini uh, incidentally has a great role in True Romance the year before, and then shows up again as the mayor in Taking a Pill One Two Three. So he clearly was someone yeah, that Scott liked to work with and uh and you know oh, he's great as the mayor and yeah. uh in taking i always forget that he's great yeah. i'll ride the trail i'll get there faster yeah r.i.p <laughs> r.i.p um all right i went with vincent d'onofrio for gandolfini and who do you have to thank for that i have to thank our engineer mark is <laughs> a fantastic selection that's a, that's a really good one yeah. it's really really good you came up with that off the cuff man yeah. i was like i was like all right i need a suggestion and you're just like d'onofrio i was like Okay, thank you. You cannot take this ship from our captain. You hurt her. (laughs) 
For those of you that don't know, Daredevil's coming out March 18th, season two. Really excited about that. Vanessa. Vanessa. Uh, all right, so Cobb. The, what's he called? The What of the ship? Captain, uh, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is he called? Not yeah, captain yeah, of the ship. He's not the captain. No, he's not the captain. Um, head of the ship? Something. You keep you. I'll I'll look <laughs> it up uh, after I give mine. So mine is someone that most of you guys are not going to know who he is, and I had to look up his name. But he plays the chubby kind of kind of dumb, dim-witted um, uh, prison guard in Orange Is the New Black, and his name is Joel Marsh Garland. And I just like looking at him and looking at Cobb because. Cobb isn't intimidating. He's a little chubby, and but there's something about him and his morality that is uh, chief of the boat. That's what it's called. Chief of the boat. That's yeah. what it is. There's something about uh, the way that this guy plays Cobb that like you don't really like him. Yeah, but you respect him and you understand him. Yeah, when when Denzel says he's like. Thank you, Cobb. And he's like, fuck thank you. you, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. I did what I did because it's right. Yeah. You could be wrong. Yeah, it's a great line. That's actually a really great line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Joel Marsh Garland. If you guys don't know who he is, look him up, and you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I went with Kevin Dunn, the man I just mentioned, the principal and warrior, the dad in Transformers. I love um, that. Yeah, I like Kevin Dunn a lot. I think he'd be a great Cobb. I think I think Cobb's the kind of because you're chief of the boat, you're pretty senior. Did you see Kevin Dunn standing up to Hackman? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, I, I love Kevin Dunn. I just, I'm such a fan of his. It's Kevin Dunn and then Mike Rispoli, who mm-hmm. is the other guy who's in uh, Unstoppable, and he's, or no, he's also in Taking? It's, he's in Taking Film 1, 2, 3. That's right. what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's like the, kind of like the chief or whatever who's like handling the affairs. Um, he's another guy that I think could play the role well. That's a good one. Uh, I love my Hackman recast. All right. Uh, I went with Tommy Lee Jones. Ah, it's super solid. It's good, right? Yeah, real solid. It's just, I can just picture him saying every single one of those lines. Can you guess who mine is? Who is it? Just take one guess. I don't know. Tom, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Wilkinson. Wilkinson! Wilkinson! Father told me, uh, your father begged for his life. Like a dog. Like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Love Wilkinson to no end. Like, I love Wilkinson. One of my all-time favorite actors. Yeah, I, I can't even 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 though I think Tommy Lee Jones is better. Yeah. I love Tom Wilkinson so much. I don't even care. Yeah, I've gone with Wilkinson a few times, but uh, he he plays evil well, and he's aged enough that I think he's at the correct age to play the role. Be perfect. Um, There's yeah. reasons we use these people over and over. Yeah, they're so good at what they do, and I'm going to use. Uh, okay, so I had this. It, we talk about in recasting and about like casting young and old and fat and black and white and how you don't always have to follow the the. The, the whatever word I'm looking for of the original film um, and this one I thought it'd be kind of cool if you swapped the roles and you made it like an old black captain with a young white like hothead yeah and then that, and you were able to find the racial tension there yeah uh, <clears throat> but I couldn't think of people that were good enough so I, I had to go to uh, I went with Elba yeah Idris Elba for um, for for Washington because That's awesome <clears throat> I think that Mackie's too young. I think that uh, Michael B. Jordan's too young, and then the other guys that are in that same age range. I'm not huge. I mean, I'm not not fans of, but yeah. I, I see Elba. I see Elba and Tommy Lee Jones yelling at each other and having that. You will not give that up. They know that yeah, that yeah, moment. Yeah. Like I think that'd be sweet. Hundred percent. And and I think the reason that it's so important to keep the white captain and the black XO in this yeah. movie. Um, we talk about sometimes how you when you when you gender shift or you race shift for a movie, it doesn't affect the recast. This is a movie where the script expressly is written in a certain way. And even if you're going with today's military versus 1995's military, I don't think it really makes that much of a difference. No, you still have a bunch of old white guys with medals and money. And no matter how evolved a society or a military we have, you will still have. 
racial tension with a younger, not white officer. It, it, will, it will just happen. I mean, even if it's not as pronounced, you could still write the story and it would still seem the same way. So that's why I think it's important to keep the characters within their correct race for a recast. Yes. Otherwise, I think the story changes. Um, I went with uh, Ch- as Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yeah. From 12 Years a Slave. Love that guy. He's just a great it's actor. a good cast. Children of Men. I mean, he's he's the right age. I like, love Children of Men so much. Shout, out to, shout out to Mark for another suggestion. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so if you want to give the mass recaster to Mark this week, you can also do that. <laughs> Uh, that's good. I think I think we did pretty pretty great with those. Those were great recasts. Yeah, I like it a lot for sure. Um, I <laughs> Cage versus Cruz. I want to do it. Yeah. Uh, what role in this? <laughs> if 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 Denzel, you can't do it though. Probably you can't do Cage or Cruz for the no. Denzel role. You can't do. Neither one of them could have played Hackman because oh, they were too. I uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> But they are from Portugal. <laughs> yeah, so, something like that. I guess if you were to make the movie now and you put like a stupid mustache on Cruz and you were to like you make him look a little older, he could maybe play like the cap. He could maybe yeah, play yeah, that, yeah. Uh, Hackman's role. Make him look like an old version of who he was in uh, yeah. the, what was that movie? The Hitler movie. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. All dressed up, yeah. Yeah, in, in uh, uh, Valkyrie. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, all right, fair enough. It's covered. <laughs> look, Cage um, versus Cruz isn't going anywhere, yeah. okay? We're going to force it in whenever we can. <laughs> Uh, all right, man. So uh, this is this is very interesting to me, and I uh, we got our categories. I what want if, you to lead what into if, it. What if Cage played Gandolfini's role? He's uh he's lost his nerve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into that. <laughs> all right, uh, which of the three categories this movie fits into? There are three action movie categories, as we always say. There is totally legitimate, which is a movie. Like The Fugitive or a movie like, we've said Die Hard, movies that are of very high quality, they're compelling, they stay together the whole time, you don't laugh unintentionally, mm-hmm. true classics. There are totally ridiculous movies, uh, movies like Face Off, movies like Con Air, movies that, they they fall apart more than you'd think, they're still compelling, you love them, but they're just absurd and hilarious in an mm-hmm. awesome way, um, doesn't make them any less watchable, it's just they don't feel like they're grounded in reality. Not from like a storytelling standpoint, like there's Aliens or This is a Terminator, right. much more in the standpoint of like, in the scene emotionally that would never happen or like how did he even get from here to here like who, what, what or like you know put the bunny back in the box yeah <laughs> intentional funny lines and then you have ridiculously legitimate which is the middle category the middle category whereas a movie that is driven by compelling drama and great performances usually mixed with some element of ridiculous or campiness there's some unintentional laughs but movies that some people will consider they'll say something like oh that's a great movie right it's a classic and you're like uh, it's pretty silly, but I mean, I'll give it to you. It's a right. classic, but it's not a classic like you're talking like Heat's a classic. It's like me when I talked to Ben about Con Air the first time. He's like, uh, are you sure? And I was like, don't trust me. <laughs> it's a great film. <laughs> um, so uh, those are the three categories. Where do you think this movie fits, Andrew? Totally legitimate. 100%? 100%. Like, I can't... I was sitting here the whole time we were, we were, we were talking about this mo- the show and the movie, and I've been sitting here thinking about it because I didn't know where, what category to put it yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. It's totally legit, man. Like, there's nothing about it. There's no moments where I'm laughing and I'm not supposed to. Uh, It's compelling. It's well acted. It's believable. Like, in the struggles, the racial, the racial struggles, and then like, is Denzel right? Is Hackman right? You know, everything. It's, it's all there. It makes you think. It's enjoyable. I love this movie so much. And there's none of that campiness that doesn't ruin it. But you know what I mean? Changes what it is. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I go totally legit. Yeah, because I look for the unintentional laughs. They're not there. I know. I look for the massive, massive plot holes where I'm like, this is so stupid. They're not really there. It's heavy-handed, but it's heavy-handed no different than a movie like Jerry Maguire's heavy-handed. Right. Where, like, 
it's a great drama. People love that movie. It's an Oscar-nominated film, and, and people – I still regard it that way, even though it's a silly, campy movie starring Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. It, this is like a product of its environment. It's a 90s Jerry Bruckheimer movie, but it's starring two of the great actors of its time and of, a great – Of all time, yeah. I mean. And it's a great supporting cast. I mean, it's it's excellent. So I go totally legitimate. I think, uh, I think it's incredible. Um, <clears throat> that – Wraps it up for Crimson for Tide's show. Yeah. Uh, but we have one more thing to do today, and that is called The Pitch. Boom. Boom. Love this it. This is the section of the show where we're going to pitch a movie for you guys for next week. And uh, it is your duty to go to our Twitter, at AMA Podcast, which I've mentioned a billion times, um, and vote on the movie and let us know which one you want to think uh, we should do next week. We usually put the Twitter poll up right around the time we finish the episode, and it's live until for 24 hours. So if you guys go and find that Twitter and you, you, you vote, that'll be the movie we do next week. And hopefully it'll be the one that you picked. Yeah, so uh, do you want to go first? I'm or going I? first, and I'm not giving up. So I already mentioned, I'm already, okay, so I don't know how many of you guys saw the Jason Bourne trailer this week, uh, this last weekend for the Super Bowl, but a little man named Tommy Lee Jones is in it, and it looks so sweet. So it made me all pumped about Tommy Lee Jones again, and I'm not giving up on Under Siege, people. I'm not going to do it. I want it on the show. I want Seagal. I want Busey, and I want Tommy Lee Jones. Incredible trifecta. Incredible trifecta, and I want to hear Tommy Lee Jones doing this, his like weird groaning, grunting, screaming sound. Uh, and we haven't done a Seagal movie yet on the show. So, if you guys want Under Siege, we could do it next week. Let's talk. Now, my vote is not as classic, but still very sweet. Very sweet. The trailer for London Has Fallen has now dropped. Gerard Butler saving the president. This time, it's a group of world leaders. Now, we're pitching the original film, Olympus Has Fallen. You guys may remember Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down came out the same right at the same time. Um, most people think they're the same movie. I am one of them. Every single time we talk about them, Ben's like, no, that's the other one. Uh, White House Down, not particularly good. Neither is Olympus Has Fallen. But Olympus Has Fallen is extremely sweet. It's I our mean, show. Yeah. That movie is like a, a modern-day retelling of the classic genre that we like to talk about on the show. It's like one dude who's like kind of like, oh, man, I was the I, – I like – protected the president like washed up yeah and he's like oh I made a mistake but the president still really respects me now he's in trouble and I have to save his life by killing all these terrorists <laughs> in the White House and there's a shit weasel just like there is in, in Air Force One yep. who like turns on him and um, he has to save the president's kid it's like it's just sweet. He's got like a, a, a troubling relationship with his nurse girlfriend who's like, I thought we were going to the movies this weekend. And he's like, I'm sorry, Betty. I forgot. I just, my mind's in other places. Who in the fuck is that talking? That's Gerard Butler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, you just made me more excited to see Olympus has, has fallen. fallen than it's anyone super ever sweet. has. So. so Tombstone, Olympus has fallen, AMA podcast, Not go Tombstone, vote. Under Siege. Under Siege, <laughs> Olympus has fallen. Point break. Point break. Uh, go to the Twitter and vote on it, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of Action Movie Anatomy. We're, we're counting down. I think we've only got eight or nine episodes left yep. until we do The Rock. This is 50th anniversary episode. And thank you all so much. By the time you see us next week, the show will have reached a grand total of three million views. Three million. Uh, it is because of you guys and because how awesome you all are. So thank you so much. Once again, I'm Ben Bateman. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, I am Andrew Guy, and you can find me at Andrew Guy on Twitter. And thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Spitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. 
I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.